We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, July 18th, 2022. What a weekend in Minneapolis. I had way too much fun. You could tell by my voice after... We just had the Sox Machine Future Sox 2022 Major League Baseball Draft Show on Twitter Space. I've already done a lot of talking. And someone that did a lot of talking and a lot of hitting this weekend was the Chicago White Sox, who desperately needed a good showing in Minnesota to get themselves back in the American League Central race. After winning three of the four games, the White Sox are back to 500. And now just three games back of the Minnesota Twins. But with the way the White Sox won these games in this series... Does it change our thinking of our outlook in 2022 for this team? We'll discuss that. Plus, the Chicago White Sox made their first round pick in the 2022 Major League Baseball draft. Welcome Noah Schultz into the player pipeline. Who is Noah Schultz and what could he possibly add to the White Sox farm system? And what kind of pitcher could he develop into? We'll talk more about Schultz in the second half of the show. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, what a weekend in Minneapolis. It was great to see you this weekend. Likewise, it was great to see everybody. Uh, it really went well. And I say that not in surprise because you're great at planning. The, the, the From the 108 guys are great at planning. Just more like New City. New venue, new stadium for us, like just not knowing exactly how things are going to work out. And, you know, just, you know, based on we, we hadn't seen the room before we bought it like that, that all that sort of stuff. All those uh, things we're finding out as we showed up a lot of room for surprises and maybe, you know, uh, hitches or things to work through. And really, it went really smoothly. And I think it sounded like everybody had a great time, uh, you know, the. Uh, folks of the North Loop Galley seem to be happy with us. So, yeah, I would call it a 10 out of 10. Yeah, if you're in Minneapolis, highly recommend going to North Loop Galley. Not only is it in a great neighborhood of Minneapolis and a fun bar, 
but what I think really stands out is the moody the the mini food stands, the mini food hall that they have, ranging from awesome Detroit style pizza to Hawaiian food and ramen and tacos. That was an excellent location. I I say we get lucky. <laughs> we got lucky with that location. And thank you to one of our followers on Twitter. He's at Dan Ryan. He helped us out, as he knows, Kyle, the bar manager, and the staff at North Loop Galley. You guys were absolutely terrific to us. The White Sox went one and one in the games that we attended. We were there Friday night, and that was a bit surprising. You made it on Friday night, Jim. You landed during the game, and you were still able to make it into the game as it was getting extended. Yeah, it's a partially attributable to Michael Kopech laboring. <laughs> And partially <laughs> attributable to a really nice transit system that um, Minneapolis has linking the airport to Target Field. Target Field is actually the last stop on the transit line from the airport. So I'd actually get off two stops earlier to drop off my bag at the hotel. But from leaving the plane to getting in the seat at Target Field was 75 minutes with a stop at my hotel in between and checking in and everything like that. So that was really impressive. I thought Target Field was pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, while the White Sox were, you know, down five, you know, Lance Lynn had that really bad inning. I took a walk around the upper deck, just roamed around. And, you know, while it has the distant sight lines of the upper deck, you know, that, that most modern stadiums have, and I can imagine on cold, cold weather, uh, April and May's and, you know, and maybe September's, um, I can imagine there being a lot of seats that are inhospitable to, uh, normal human butts. But they also just seem to have like a lot of, uh, you know, kind of shelters, bars, uh, alcoves, um, you know, places to warm up or places to follow the game while, you know, if, if it's, you know, if twins are getting blown out, you can sit inside and drink. And if you want to go back to your seat, you can. So it was pretty nice. Like I, I, I have to think about it before putting it in my tiers of parks, but uh, I, I liked going there and I certainly liked uh, just how easy it was to get there. It was not a chore. No, I, I like Target Field, and I think there's lots of interesting and good food options as well. Beer-wise, the Minneapolis scene is not quite on the same level as Chicago, so they don't really, when you look at their craft cave type of situations, they have like a, a draft place where they have like 20 to like 34 beers on draft. Uh, and, you know, as far as the beer options, it's it's not on the same level as Guaranteed Rate Field, but... Not many baseball stadiums are, but as far as the the city location and our seats, we're in right field in section 138. I I really enjoyed the experience of going to Target Field, and it was great to see so many White Sox fans there. We didn't have many Twins fans in our ear giving us crap uh, (laughs) during the game, but it was the White Sox that really prevailed this weekend, Jim. Winning three out Mm -hmm. of four. They've won five of their last six games. They needed to have a big week, and they go five and three on the road to Cleveland and Minneapolis, and they out-homer the Twins in this series, eight homers to four homers over the four games. They won game one, 12-2. They won game two, 6-2. The game that we were there as the entire group, they lost 6-3 to because Lance Lynn had the, the meltdown inning in the third inning. But in game four, I was listening to the game driving back from Minneapolis to Chicago. So I didn't get to watch a lot of it, but they won 11 to nothing. Dylan DeCease was awesome, and the White Sox offense eventually figured out Chris Archer with a two-out rally. 
and they hit three homers. And when you look at the four games, the White Sox outscored the Minnesota Twins 32-10. to Is this series win and the fashion of how the White Sox won this series get you back to believing that they have redirected their course from a near collapse back into a legitimate case of getting back into first place in the American League Central? I think so, mostly because the Twins are gettable. Like, you know, if they were, you know, watching the Mariners win 13 in a row, watching the Orioles win 11 in a row, um, just you know, watching the strength of other divisions, I still maintain that it's, they haven't convinced me that they're, they've really changed their standing in terms of the overall picture of like elite teams and, you know, tier two teams. They still seem like, you know, upper middle class in terms of talent and, and holes and health and everything like that. But the AL Central is gettable. I think we're seeing, you know, watching Chris Archer succeed early on Sunday and then eventually, you know, hit a wall and then the bullpen comes in like, uh, and then watching, you know, their, their strategy of trying to lift guys before the third time through and just seeing how the bullpen is suffering some strain and how, you know, the, the offense is not quite, you know, it's got to pile up a lot of runs, I think, in order to overcome, uh, some of these short starts and the innings that some guys are expected to cover or not expected to cover. So, you know, watching the White Sox out homer them, watching Adam Engel step in seamlessly for Luis Robert and provide some power and some big hits, watching Andrew Vaughn seem to get some of his uh, power back. And, uh, you know, the you know, even like without Gavin Sheets, Gavin Sheets had a terrible series, but like they were still, you know, out homering, out producing, line drives all over the place. So, it's partially the White Sox looking a little healthier and deeper than they were two weeks ago. But also I think it's just the twins are they're They're trying to thread a needle, I think with how they cover innings. And that was one of the things I was concerned about and maybe not concerned because as a White Sox fan, it's kind of good news. But in terms of like, if I were a twins fan, I would be concerned that losing Wes Johnson disrupts very carefully laid plans for their pitching staff. And right now, I think, you know, when they're, when they're shopping the deadline and talking additions, like they could really use a horse, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who, who can go six and, and face an order three times two without automatically looking at the splits and saying, that's a bad idea. Well, is Sonny Gray hurt? Like, that's a question because mm-hmm. that was the game I was most worried about when we were previewing the series, just because of the way that Sonny Gray throws. And I just felt like he was going to give the White Sox a, a terrible time where, he would go six innings, only allow one run, and the White Sox lose three to one. Johnny Cueto pitches great, but they can't hit Sonny Gray. Well, the Twins only scored two runs against Johnny Cueto in that start. But the White Sox, thanks to Luis Robert, he hit that mammoth grand slam, and that like broke the back and maybe set the tone for the entire series, Jim. Broke the back of the seat it hit. Well, yeah, because, well, maybe Josh Harrison's the one that broke Sonny Gray's back because his liner hit him in in the right shoulder blade. And Gray wasn't the same. And he really wasn't the, you know, normal, even in the first inning of that game. And it really set the tone for this entire series. Because, again, the White Sox outscored the Minnesota Twins by 22 runs in these four games. Like, other than sweeping the Minnesota Twins, I feel like this is the second best outcome the White Sox could possibly have this weekend. And they just really dominated as far as this particular series. And it's your point about the Minnesota Twins. Like, 
Who are they going to add, though? Like, Frankie Montas is going to cost a lot. Luis Castillo mm-hmm. could cost a lot. I, and I agree with you that they're going to need that type of stud to help lead this rotation. But I'm also not impressed by their bullpen. And this is where, as a White Sox fan, it should give you hope that, yes, the Twins are gettable, even though they have all this impressive position player talent. And at any game, their offense could hit the ball out of the ballpark. We saw that in the third game of the series. Correa, Polanco. We know how dangerous Byron Buxton can be. But, man, if you are within reach or if you're ahead of the Minnesota Twins and you get into their bullpen, it almost leads to disaster for Minnesota. And when reading the reaction from a Minnesota point of view, you got some fans and even you know some writers as well saying maybe the Twins need to add up to four pitchers before the deadline. Mm-hmm. And that's a tall task. Yeah, especially if they need to add starters if they need to, to add innings like I'm thinking the White Sox you know they've added you know a couple pitchers here and there but it's usually inning at a time they need a righty they need a lefty they're looking for somebody this is this is bulk they're looking to cover and I think that's tougher to accomplish I, I guess partially it's easier to accomplish like we saw with Craig Kimbrell last year the White Sox were looking for a solution to a situation and you can't count on those situations arriving so in, in one case, like, you know, adding a Luis Castillo or somebody like that, at least you know what he's signing up for, when he's going to throw, assuming he's healthy enough to actually hold up to provide those innings. But at least it's easier to know how you're going to deploy him uh, versus trying to hope that save situations show up to make this very specific, you know, trade acquisition pay off. But, uh, you know, it, th- those pitchers have to provide the innings as well. And we're seeing, you know, just, you know, all over baseball, it can be a bit of a problem to find innings. And yeah, the, the this was, I think, what, you know, Twins writers were uh, nervous about over the course of the uh, winter when they're trying to figure out, like, where are these innings coming from and looking at Dylan Bunny. And, you know, if Dylan Bunny could face the White Sox every time, uh, they'd be thrilled with him. But unfortunately, uh, you know, he's got to start against other teams and, and other teams make him look ordinary. So between him and, uh, you know, just the Archer being limited and he was their other, you know, addition um you know Sonny Gray was okay but now you know the White Sox have hit him hard two times in a row and they hit him hard literally uh with Harrison's liner so it's uh it's a it's a fragile situation and I think you know that's why when we're talking about the White Sox rotation with Lance Lynn struggling and such like they're still in good shape relative to a lot of other teams uh they just aren't getting the kind of lift they need to overcome the offense that's been so you know um, you know, for, for lost, I would say, for a lot of the first half. But if this series is indicative of what the White Sox might be able to provide on a, on a series-by-series basis offensively, even if three homers in an inning isn't going to be the, the norm, but that, that kind of quick strike potential, we talked about them lacking for so many weeks in the first half. Like, if that's back, at least you know, to some reliable extent, uh, the White Sox pitching staff might be plenty good. Offensively for the Minnesota Twins, we're not Twins machine, but we're looking at this perspective of the White Sox. Like, how are you going to catch the Twins? Why should you buy into the idea that the White Sox could catch the Minnesota Twins in the post-All-Star break? In the month of July at 15 games, the Twins offense has scored 65 runs. So that's a little more than four runs per game. They've hit 24 homers this month so far. That's a lot of home runs, but it's not generating a lot of runs for them. So when you add in all of the faults 
and the weaknesses on the pitching staff, their offense is hitting a lot of solo home runs, but they're not generating a ton of runs. Meanwhile, the New York Yankees lead all of Major League Baseball in July in the same amount of games as the Minnesota Twins. The Yankees have scored 113 runs this month so far. That is ridiculous. Second most runs scored in Major League Baseball in the month of July, the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox have scored 97 runs in July. They've hit 19 homers, but they're able to generate runs. They've scored 97 times. They're hitting 728 as a team. So offensively, they are getting better. They are providing more run support. So I am getting back on the boat that, yes, I think the White Sox can catch the Minnesota Twins in the American League Central. Do I feel good about their American League pennant chances? No, because the Yankees and Astros are very strong teams, and I'm expecting those teams to even get stronger after the trade deadline by making moves. But I feel a lot better about this team's chances now of catching the Minnesota Twins, how they won this series. And now, Jim, after the All-Star break, which we'll preview that series in a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, that four-game series at home against Cleveland now is absolutely huge. Yeah, it's it's up there. Although, you know, I think the Guardians are also a difficult team to figure out. Like, I think the way the White Sox went... Five and three this week is the way I wanted them to go, which was, you know, I'd rather them split with the Guardians and, uh, you know, win the you beat the Twins rather than uh, you know win the series against Guardians, and lose against the Twins, just because. I got I got burned by the Guardians with my you know, I guess relative enthusiasm for them before, thinking that they're going to overtake them, and uh, they very well might. Like it's kind of a three-team rock fight to me uh, in the AL Central, but. Um, yeah, it's I like the way they played. They, they you know the, the White Sox were able to hold their own, which we've seen them not hold their own in Cleveland. So hopefully that does bode well for if they can play well in Cleveland, if they can play well enough, I should say, in Cleveland. Um, I'm hoping that transfers over to a better home performance. Although we keep saying that about the White Sox at home and their you know their their piss poor record. Like you know they they've done all the heavy lifting on the road and then they come home and. The fans want them so desperately to be good, and they're not delivering. So hopefully, you know, maybe during this All-Star break, uh, there's a little bit of a reset in the store to understand exactly just why there's such a shortcoming there. Yeah, the White Sox are 19-25 and 25 at home. They're 27-21 and 21 on the road. That's the third best road record in the American League, Jim. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's classic optimist-pessimist stuff. It is. If it's... they can iron it out, great. If they're losing, you know, if, if they're getting kind of, uh, you know, beat up by their home field, like stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, uh, that's, you know, that's rough. Well, then in their next 12 games, four against Cleveland, two against Colorado, three against Oakland, three against Kansas City, 10 of those 12 games are at home. So should I be worried that here I'm being so optimistic and buying into the White Sox, catching the Minnesota Twins, leaping Cleveland in the American League Central standings to get back into first place, that 10 of the next 12 games are at home because they're so bad at home? Yeah, I mean, it's partially, I think it's less about the Guardians and more about how the White Sox play at home. I guess we can look at it that way. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, after this stretch, they have four games in Texas a day off, and then four games in three days. 
at Kauffman Stadium. So whatever shortcomings at home during this stretch, uh, the White Sox could possibly make up for it in early August in the road. But again, four games against Cleveland, that's big. But then they have this stretch here where they have two games in Colorado. The Rockies are not impressive. Three games at home against Oakland. The Athletics are pining for the number one pick in next year's Major League Baseball draft. And Kansas City's break it apart, even though they had a strong showing in Toronto with so many players missing COVID, that they're currently last place in the American League Central. We've been asking in recent days after watching what (laughs) Seattle evidently is not losing another baseball game and the run that Baltimore's had. Like, when is that going to happen for the White Sox? And as I mentioned, they've won five of their last six games. Is the schedule set up for the White Sox that this could be the run, Jim? Well, you know, it theoretically should be. Um, you know, we've seen it before. We've, we've wanted them to uh, take advantage. But, yeah, this is – we've talked about soft schedules before. And, you know, once they cleared the Dodgers and the gauntlet that we spent uh, the first couple months of the, of the podcast talking about – that, you know, we saw the Orioles and Angels and being like, that should be an easy week. And then they, you know, drop both of those series. So that's what gives me a little bit of pause. However, yeah, it's it's opening up. You know, you got plenty of off days, plenty of opportunities to reset the bullpen between the All-Star break and then two off days uh, surrounding Rockies. Yeah, and the A's are packing in. So this would be as soft as it gets this stretch looking forward. I mean, you know, the there there are softer spots elsewhere, or I should say, you know, I guess equally unimpressive spots, but you know, Diamondbacks can be feisty. The looking at the the Orioles, who knows what they're going to look like. So I mean, like they could very well be wild card contenders. And then what are you going to do with that? So this is really when you look at on paper, yeah, this is the just junkiest part of the schedule, and just the the dregs and the misfit teams and the potentially crumbling teams, as you mentioned with the Royals, like that. That, that situation that I'm fascinated by, like when 40% of your roster can't play and the former team leader, I don't think he's a current team leader anymore, but the former team leader, when Merrifield is saying that I would get vaccinated for a better team. Uh, that's yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> and Nikki Lopez was basically relishing the opportunity. You know, this is the case where like, just if they didn't like what Merrifield, they have license to say so now. So Nikki Lopez was really savoring the opportunity to speak freely and without having to look over his shoulder in the clubhouse, wondering what's going on. It's, um, you know, I mean, we've, we've had that experience before writing about collapsing clubhouses and it's hard to watch, but also fascinating to watch. You know, it's, it's very, it's soap opera stuff. It's reality TV stuff, but it's also um, more interesting than just a a normal rebuilding team. So uh, you know, we, I enjoy the work at Royals Review and I like, <laughs> I find them to be very, uh, uh, very even handed and, and, you know, they're, they're discussed with Dayton Moore and Cal Eldred and everybody else. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be recommended reading. Yes, they do a great job. I've always loved those guys when they're covering Kansas city, uh, looking at the white Sox again, they're 46 and 46 at the all-star break. They have won seven of their last 10 games. If you look at that last 10 game span, And during that 10-game span, they have made up four games on the Minnesota Twins uh, and one game on Cleveland. So the Twins enter the All-Star break still in first place. They are 50-44. and Cleveland is in second place at 46-44. and So there's a four-game difference in played games between Minnesota and Cleveland. So that puts Cleveland two games back. And the White Sox are 46-46. and 
They are three games back of the Twins, one game back of Cleveland for first place in the American League Central. And that run differential is so much better now. It's at negative 14 runs after this fantastic weekend by the Chicago White Sox. So if you have been looking for reason to hope, to be re-energized by the Chicago White Sox team, to finally say, is it time yet? Is it time for the White Sox to put away this bad baseball? Can I forget about this team being below 500? I think this upcoming weekend against Cleveland will say a lot about that. Because if they can win three out of four again against Cleveland, Jim, then yeah, everyone start buying into the idea that a, a hot August is coming for the White Sox. And after such a lackluster pre-All-Star part of the schedule, you know, 92 games in, maybe the White Sox have a torching 70-game stretch and hopefully it leads to another division title and they get back in the postseason and we can make fun of ourselves the way that we're reacting in May and June of this season. However, those feelings were warranted because this team has been underachieving so much during the first half of this season. But it is nice that they were able to turn around this weekend. And I think that there's reason to hope as a White Sox fan. And you should be excited for this upcoming weekend critical four-game series against Cleveland. And hopefully the White Sox themselves on the field have a really good performance. Because I think the crowd is going to turn out. Yeah, I think the one thing we haven't mentioned and the one thing that is cause for concern specific to the White Sox rather than just their opponents is Luis Robert. Yes. And not really knowing what's going on with him in terms of his lightheadedness. Like I, I, you know, I came into the game, I came into target field. So I missed the first five innings. Like I came in at the top of the sixth and I saw that Robert left with lightheadedness. I was kind of following on Twitter as I was coming into the, um, coming into the city, catching up. And I saw that, you know, some of Robert's uh, routes were confusing and he, you know, misplayed a ball. And when I, when then when I watched it after, after the game, like I went back and watched the replay, the condensed game uh, and, and saw Robert's routes. Like he looked like somebody who maybe wasn't, you know, his depth perception was off or his steps were uncertain or something. So, uh, the fact that he was, um, you know, taken out of the game, mid-game, the fact that as the series progressed, Aloy Jimenez was considered a more likely play- outfielder to contribute to the series, and he didn't play at all. That makes me concerned. So I think, you know, as you know, hopefully the next four days, you know, having four days off and uh, no travel makes it easier for Robert to recover and not, and not have the active concern of, Will he play or not? Does he need to be placed on the injured list or not? But that, you know, that's more concerning than I thought when I heard lightheadedness. I thought, like, oh, maybe it's just, you know, hydration, um, you know, some kind of weird weather thing. But if it's, like, something more like vertigo, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, and, and this is pure speculation. I'm just trying to think of, like, something that could be, uh, you know, longer lasting, more pervasive without, like, a quick fix. Like, that's that's one thing I'm looking forward to the White Sox addressing as the Cleveland series comes up on the calendar. My first thought went to Vertigo as well, Jim, but Luis Robert will be undergoing tests on Monday. So hopefully we learn more about his status during the all-star break as everyone in major league baseball has the next four days off as there's a lot of attention in Los Angeles. You got the home run derby coming up Tuesday's all-star game. Tim Anderson is starting, which is awesome. Liam Hendricks is now joining Tim Anderson on the All-Star team. 
I know he wouldn't be able to pitch, but I'm still bummed that Dylan Cease is not getting the recognition that he should be deserving as an all-star, especially with how well he threw on Sunday, Jim. Like, I don't know if that was kind of a, you know, screw you, everyone that votes for pitchers in the American mm-hmm. League for the all-star team type of performance, but what was it, eight strikeouts and seven scoreless innings? Like, And I think he's leading the American League in strikeouts now. Mm-hmm. I know he doesn't. Yeah, I, you know, I don't. I know he doesn't get the ulcer recognition, but I feel like Dylan Cease definitely is in the top ten when it comes to American League Scion consideration at the All Star break, and with the run that he's been on the last few weeks, I wonder if he could be that next White Sox pitcher that gets into the top five again. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny uh, watching uh, fans and writers, and you know, just various personalities on Twitter uh, respond to confusion or respond with confusion to the news that Cease wasn't uh, named to the all-star team. And then with the schedule, him starting on Sunday, like he wasn't going to be added. Like I saw a lot of, uh, you know, disgust and, you know, confusion and scorn. But part of me wondered, you know, as he uh, knocked out his start uh against the twins and wrapped up a wonderful first half in the ERA is what 2.15 and 150 strikeouts leading the league. And I saw a bunch of people, um, not white Sox fans, just across media commenting what a snub he was. And um, just made me wonder, made me think of like, you you know how like Armando Galarraga's non imperfect game Mm -hmm. is more memorable than most of the perfect games thrown this century. Yep. Part of me thinks like this is this might be good for Cease, you know, one because you know he doesn't have to travel, gets four days off. The White Sox need him to be, you know, in this form for a lot of the second half until the standings show otherwise. Uh, but also, just it's might be good for the kind of attention he's getting, like the you know, the scrutiny he's getting, the good kind of scrutiny where he said like, hey, why is this guy not in the All Star game? You know, I think they're looking. A lot more people are looking harder at his stats or learning more about him because he's been snubbed. So I'm going to use the, uh, you know, lemons into lemonade <laughs> uh, position here and say like, yeah, you know, it's sometimes when, you know, there is injustice or somebody gets snubbed, like sometimes it works on their favor. Like uh, that I remember it or I remember the performance. I look in the performance more than I would otherwise if I'm not a White Sox fan or I don't. Uh, watch much AL Central baseball, that sort of thing. Like his profile might have been raised in spite of the All Star omission. Yeah, I mean, look at Ty France of Seattle. He's been added to the All Star team. You may not know much about Ty France, but when you look into his numbers and you watch him, I come away even more impressed. And that is a dynamic bat that the Seattle Mariners have. And again, Seattle has refused to lose. I think it's now 14 straight games. The Seattle Mariners have won. What a run! That they are on. But you make a great point about that with Dylan Cease garnering more attention. Do you think Dylan Cease starts on Friday? That would be normal rest for him. And that would be the first game back from the All-Star break. So it would be that rare situation where a starting pitcher could start back-to-back games. I think maybe they wait a couple days just because from here on out it will be every fifth day. Or they might, you know, as off days pop up, you know, maybe in August or something like that, uh, they might need him to pitch on the fifth day versus the sixth day. So I think, you know, with the rotation resetting with everybody uh, on hand to uh, open the second half, like I think they might want to spare him for a day or two just to make sure that he's uh, 
gets the opportunity to recharge as much as anybody else because he's probably more important than anybody else in this rotation until, you know, whether it's Lance Lynn, Giolito, until somebody shows otherwise. But the way Cease has thrown and the, the ceiling he's shown and the swings and misses he's getting and how hard he has been to hit, like, I don't think anybody can, can catch up to him in terms of importance for this White Sox rotation the rest of the way. So he's kind of the guy. Well, if the White Sox stick with the current rotation, it would be Giolito on Friday. Cueto would start one of the two games. It is a split doubleheader with the first game being played at 12 o'clock. And then the, six, the second game is going to be at 6.15. That's a nationally televised game. That game will be on Fox between Cleveland and the White Sox. Uh, so if you go Giolito, Cueto, do you go Kopech in game two? I would go guns blazing. Like I would use all four regular starters for those games because you have two off days the following week. Right. So I almost feel like I would go see Saturday night, Jim. Yeah. I would give him a day off and be like, you know what, Cleveland, you're getting Giolito. He loves facing you. You're getting Cueto. That's not an easy game for you. And you're getting Cease. And then you could give Sunday to, to either Kopech or Lynn. Yep. And Kopech regained his velocity. Command was a little bit all over the place, but I was I was happy with his recapture of the velocity watching the stadium gut hit 95, 96, even into the fifth inning. That was very promising because his average velocity before that start in July dropped to 93.2 miles per hour, which is a two-mile-per-hour velocity drop average-wise on his four-seamer since May. So it's great to see Kopech recapture that type of velocity. But I'm with you. Go guns blazing. I know Colorado's a tough place to pitch, but you need these four games against Cleveland. And if you can win that series, you leap you leap Cleveland. And Minnesota's going to be in Detroit, and that's a, that's a three-game series that the Twins have uh, against the Tigers. So hopefully Detroit plays has a good series at home against Minnesota. Fingers crossed. But I really feel like this is a good opportunity for the White Sox to leap Cleveland in the standings. And... I do think Tony La Russa is going to manage it that way as well when he sets up his rotation, that if everyone's healthy and no one is sore or needs extra time off, he's going to go with his four best guys. I like it. All right. Well, we'll preview that that series later this week when we have a new Sox Machine podcast. After the All-Star break, we'll, we'll you know, look at the home run derby and review how the All-Star game went and Look ahead into the post-All-Star break. We're going to be quickly coming up to the trade deadline. That is on Tuesday, August 2nd. And the way the White Sox are playing, they might be buyers. So we're going to have those questions that we'll have to answer, which is a lot better than contemplating who the White Sox are going to sell. But Jim and I will take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about the newest Chicago White Sox player, left-handed pitcher Noah Schultz, who was taken in the first round by the White Sox. What does his profile look like? And what does he add to the White Sox player development pipeline? We'll share next on the Sox Machine Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Well, I was making my way from Minneapolis and my voice is trying to do the best it can to hold up in this second half of this podcast. Uh, I came off a two-plus-hour show co-hosting with our friends James Fox and Mike Rakin from Future Sox for the 2022 Major League Baseball Draft Show. It was wild, Jim. We had over 1,200 people that stopped by to listen to us break down the draft as it was happening live. Kumar Rocker was taken third overall. That was a huge surprise. Cade Horton goes seventh overall to the Chicago Cubs. James crushed it, Jim. He got seven out of 30 correct in his mock draft. I only had three. My goal was four, so I missed my goal. Uh, I think Jim Callis only had four. So James crushed it with his mock draft. So congratulations to him. And the White Sox had a bit of a surprise at pick 26. Somebody that we didn't write a lot about. We didn't do extensive coverage because we weren't quite sure what his signing situation was going to be, even though he's a local kid. And that's Noah Schultz, left-handed pitcher who pitched out of Oswego East High School in Illinois, one of the Chicago suburbs. And it's a really unique profile, Jim. He's six foot nine, 220 pounds. He's the Vanderbilt commit, so you know there's talent there because Vandy does a fantastic job, not just recruiting pitchers, but also developing them into being high first-round picks. I mean, again, go back to Kumar Rocker, picked third overall. And here is the first prep pitcher the White Sox have taken to the first round since 2001. So I know that you're not as deep into the draft analysis and tracking the draft from the college season of February throughout the year like I am, but I'm, I'm curious. I leave that to you. <laughs> I, I'm curious, though, what is your reaction when you hear that the White Sox take someone like Noah Schultz, 26th overall? 
Well, first of all, um, you guys did a great job at Twitter space. That was primarily how I followed the draft. I had it on while doing other things, writing other things, kind of getting things set up for a quick response to the White Sox draft pick. And I felt, you know, I had like a tracker up in case I happened to like step away and miss a pick, but I wasn't really watching it regularly. I was just listening to you guys talk it up. The guests you brought on, uh, you, James and Mike, uh, James with a great job of telling us who the White Sox are going to pick about a minute before it happened. Uh, See, they got some breaking news along the way, but yeah, it was high quality programming. So um, yeah, I can't tell people listen because it'll be a year until they can do it again. But next time, uh, if, if you see it coming up and, and Josh and James are touting it, like, listen, cause it's a great way to take in the draft, especially if you're doing other things like this, they, you know, a lot of the picks are reflected in terms of how they affect the White Sox and who they might pick. So yeah, it's, it's a great way to follow it. So it, really a terrific job with that presentation. Uh, as for Schultz, like, you know, by rule, since you guys were surprised by it, I have to be surprised by it. I don't think I can say like, oh yeah, you know, Noah Schultz, yeah. There, you didn't see the smoke that was coming that 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 should have told you that this was lining up to happen. So I can't tell you that you know anything different in terms of your reaction. In terms of you know the way I process draft picks is more you know profiles like you know as. Once Chris Sale was a success, we saw Carson Fulmer and Tyler Danish and other guys with unusual deliveries pop up and be tied to the White Sox and saw diminishing returns from that and fast trackable guys uh, who they couldn't track and, and uh, you know, who they couldn't fast track. And we saw the polished bats um, phase that Nick Hosteller went through. So I, I look at it more in terms of like who they've picked and who, um, you know, the kind of success they've had and whether they're kind of falling to a rut or trying something different. This qualifies as something different. I mean, they haven't used a uh, first-round pick on a prep arm since Chris uh, Honnell in 2001 and also a Chicagoland product. And you can, you know, talking about optimist-pessimist from before, like you can filter this a lot of different ways depending on, just your your outlook and and you know how much faith you have in the White Sox doing the right thing, picking the right guy. Um, I will say that you know when it comes to a local draft pick, like if I saw it, the White Sox pick the local prep arm, I might reflexively roll my eyes and just say, oh, you know they don't want another Curtis Granderson situation and be like, why didn't they pick that guy? So they pick that guy and he's not actually that good. Um, but when you see six foot nine, when you see like six foot nine, but also repeats his delivery rather well and has more deception than usual and is already sitting low nineties and could project for more, but already has some building blocks in place, high spin slider, um, you know, change up isn't there, but mostly because he'd be doing a favor for high school hitters by throwing it like I like that. You know, I like that more than say like Jerry, Jared Kelly's draft day profile to where like somebody's already topped out. Um, you know, the, the, I guess the biggest knock on him was that he couldn't show that much because he had mono. Um, you can either, you, you can't really hold it against him. It's not, you know, you can't say like, Oh, he's got more in the tank. He just, it's more along the lines of just that's three months of uh, redacted footage from his profile and you can't really uh, do much with that. But the way I look at it is like, well, I like the upside from the you know the the, the last uh, few picks of the first round, so that's good. I'd, I'd rather have that over like somebody with like a college outfielder with a high strikeout rate or something like that that they might not be able to get value from. So I like that, um, and I like that you know it's a case where 
it's something they haven't done. They're not scared away from it for no reason. I think that you know it, it, it lends some credence to the idea that Mike Shirley can do what he wants, and there isn't some kind of Jerry Reinsdorf, um, you know, edict saying no prep pitchers in the first round, which you know was you know I guess one of my milder concerns. Like I don't necessarily you know I, I didn't mind that they didn't pick prep pitchers in the first round because it's a hard success rate to um, nail and, and be on the right side of when it comes to the odds, but it does point to the idea that this is Mike Shirley's draft. Um, I think my biggest concern is that when you look at the White Sox pitching ranks, you know, Christian Maine is nice. Norhe Vera is nice, but they're in a ball. They have a lot of work to do in terms of developing their arsenal, gaining strength while also showing the ability to handle a five month grind, turning into a six month grind. So there's just a lot of work cut out for them to prove that they're, you know, a, even a prospect that's capable of like bringing in somebody significant back in a trade. Like right now, when you're looking at the kind of the traditional college arm who's shown the ability to throw like 80, 90, 100 innings in the season, Sean Burke is as close as it gets and he struggled in double A. So there's really that gap in terms of more polished, more developed pitching in the White Sox system. And Schultz doesn't fulfill that. So, you know, I was thinking if they're going to go pitching, there's going to be more of a college arm that they might, you know, have keys on to unlock quicker and get, you know, faster dividends from that pick. This seems like more of a project that kind of slots in with the uh, Mena, uh, Vera, Thompson, Dahlquist, Kelly, just in that pile. He's definitely, I think, you know, maybe behind Vera, the most intriguing uh, arm in the system, maybe better than Vera, but I think, you know, Vera's at least been able to show it in pro ball. Uh, and so I give him the nod there. Uh, you know, I think Schultz has to, yeah, I just want to see him, you know, in front of eyes against pro competition to put a more interesting than Vera stamp on him. But he's in that glut of pitchers that really isn't going to affect the immediate or even like I would say the three-year picture for the White Sox. And so that's where I'm a little bit confused. Yeah, when I asked everyone for a one-word response on the draft show, what would be your one word to describe the White Sox taking Noah Schultz? Uh, James Fox was shocked. Mike Rakin, I think, put it best, and I can't wait to listen to their podcast, which is going to come out on Tuesday to recap the first day for the Chicago White Sox and talk a little bit more about Noah Schultz in depth. But I think Mike alluded to being a project. That's something that you just mentioned, Jim, that Noah Schultz is going to be a project. The tools are very interesting. I don't think a left-handed batter has a prayer against Noah Schultz with the way that he throws. It oftentimes looks like the ball is coming from first base for a left-handed hitter. He's going to be devastating against left-handed hitters. Yes, this slider's got a high spin rate. The fastball needs time. It needs time to develop, and he needs time to learn how to maintain velocity. If you put him in a bullpen right now, I bet he could hit 95. If you watch him in a game and he gets to the fourth inning, I wouldn't be surprised if he's hitting 90 right now. And it's going to take time because he's 18 years old. I do think Mike Shirley has a type when it comes to pitchers. This is a younger version of Garrett Crochet, in my opinion where this is someone at the very least is going to be, it could possibly be a devastating reliever 
for the Chicago White Sox where the stuff just jumps out in one to two inning spurts and hitters have a terrible time, but they just can't maintain the stuff for more than three innings. So that's why they're going to be a reliever. If you want to believe that Noah Schultz is going to be a starter, he's going to need two to three years for that type of development, the same type of development that he would be getting at Vanderbilt. So from that perspective, how would Noah Schultz develop better as a pitcher with the White Sox or with Vanderbilt? Well, this is going to be a great case study because I know Vanderbilt can produce pitchers. For the White Sox on the prep front, with their staff right now, I mean, Matthew Thompson, he's got a 4.76 ERA and 17 starts in high A. Andrew Dahlquist maybe is lost. I mean, 55 strikeouts to 40 walks in 72 innings. He's got a 5.88 ERA. Uh, Jared Kelly, I don't even know if he exists now uh, within the White Sox farm system. He's been throwing. He's been throwing okay, but at low A, not high A like Thompson and Dahlquist. Yeah, he's yeah. in Canapolis. Yeah, but you know, there's there's the body issue. There's there's the weight He's issue. In the body issue? Been... No, not that body <laughs> issue. But that was a concern when he was drafted. Yeah. Is that okay? You know, he's he's got a little baby fat on him. But as he gets you know into the professional breaks, he'll get into shape. Nope, that has not been the case since he's joined the Chicago White Sox, and that's a him problem uh, that he's got to get better at. So the pitchers that you did mention that are intriguing are the international signings for the White Sox in Christian Mania. And Norhe Vera. And that's where your hope is as far as the White Sox developing pitchers right now. This is kind of, does the right hand speak to the left hand? Because Mike Shirley's job is to draft and find these types of players. It is Chris Getz's job and his development staff to develop these guys into something. Mm-hmm. And we're going to find out in the development shops for the Chicago White Sox. Because the guy that I mocked to the White Sox was Blade Tidwell, a right-handed pitcher out of Tennessee, and he falls all the way to 52 overall, and he's going to the New York Mets, which makes sense with that fastball-slider combination that they really covet. But the other thing, the, the other attributes or situations that we don't know is signing bonus and just how signable guys were. The White Sox have the third lowest bonus pool amount in this draft. So they have to be really strategic on how they spend that money because they just don't have a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And if Noah Schultz was willing to forego his Vanderbilt commitment to sign for $2.78 million to side with the White Sox, but someone like Tucker Toman, which a lot of us on staff wanted the White Sox to take, was not going to sign for that amount. Mm -hmm. And if he didn't meet his signing bonus, he was going to go to LSU well, then that totally makes sense. That That's something that we don't learn about until after the draft is over. But at this moment, I guess I fall in the confused category because the White Sox are really struggling to develop prep pitchers. And if they wanted to add pitching help, I thought there were options available when the White Sox picked at number 26 that they could have went to, especially on the college front. But there are some things that I will keep an open mind on because, honestly, as we're learning with this bullpen, we're tired of the White Sox spending serious cash on relievers. After two years, if Noah Schultz as a starting pitcher is not going to work out, you could at least pivot 
and put him on the fast track to be a reliever. And if he could be effective there, okay, great. At least you got something. Someone that could help out in some facet with pick 26. Because the track record in Major League Baseball draft history is incredibly low, Jim, mm-hmm. uh, as far as an impact player at pick 26. So at least that he'll be serviceable in some way. And I do think Noah Schultz eventually will be a Major League pitcher. But if you're hoping that he's going to be a devastating starter or any type of starting pitcher in Major League Baseball, again, you mentioned it. Mike Rakin has mentioned it. Best way to describe it, he's a project that will take a number of years for the White Sox to develop. And I know that those are listening. What about a replacement for Lucas Giolito? And I'll just say they're still searching for him. Yeah, I, I think if I were to put one word in it, I would say like, misplaced or mistimed like in another year with the White Sox farm system in a different shape. Like I might like this pick a lot just because, um, you know, there are some ingredients here and you compare it to crochet. Like I think I like it better than crochet just because crochet was older. Um, the track record was limited. Obviously there were pandemic pressures shortening the season to where like just a lot of guys didn't know anything about in terms of just what kind of season they're going to have. So I don't necessarily blame the White Sox for picking crochet where they did and trying to get value out of it, no matter what, given just the world uncertainty. But, you know, you mentioned, you know, from the uh, get-go that crochet is not a starter or it's going to be really hard for him to figure out how to start and, and how to, uh, you know, it's, it's going to take uh, a lot of dedication in order for crochet to be a starter. And you don't think the White Sox have it in them either talent-wise to develop, uh, develop him as a starter or just the, the patience in terms of, you know, what they need from certain arms in the system now. And so far, that's bearing out to be correct. If it's going to be a similar arm, I'd rather be somebody like Schultz, who, you know, as you mentioned, recruited by Vanderbilt. So they think there's a skill set there that can be shaped into a starter and the White Sox have a few years to get it right. So at pick 26, you know, a a hard pick to count on getting to the majors. I do like the upside there. It just, you know, until, you know, and if he clicks immediately or like puts it together or shows that mono was really the, if he had a healthy season, he would have picked, been picking the top 15 or something like that. Um, You know, that's theoretically a, possibility like I was pleasantly surprised to see none of the draft Knicks ripping the pick saying like oh my god I can't believe they did this you know there was shock but there wasn't like uh people could see like I see why they did that you know especially you know Chicago being so close they made that tie but just said the talent's there the arm is there you know Keith Law has some concerns about just big pitchers holding up um you know and and other guys just worried about his fastball velocity and command and his ability to hold it but, you know, everybody could see the potential and why he was drafted in the position he was. I just wish the White Sox had a little bit more behind Davis Martin and the upper minors pitching to where, like, you could devote the time to making him a starter without feeling like we got to have him turn to something because the pitching's drying up. Maybe that happens in spring training with Sean Burke working more with Ethan Katz. Because they're going to need someone. They're going to need someone with, you know, Lucas Giolito becoming a free agent soon. Dylan C. side with Scott Boris. And the way that he's pitching, mm-hmm. he's going to be making that cash pretty soon. Uh, so hopefully that that is where the White Sox could find some immediate depth. But, yeah, going back to the comparison with Garrett Crochet, and I'm glad you mentioned it. Crochet went 11th overall. And I felt like that was a reach by the White Sox when they made that pick. 
Schultz is going 26th overall. And you're in that territory where guys are getting floated into the 30s because those teams have extra draft pool money. They could probably give more to those players than what the White Sox can at pick 26. This is the part of the draft that gets really weird. Mm -hmm. But if the White Sox feel confident, if they believe in their development, that they can work with Noah Schultz, this is a enticing project. And at the very least... Schultz, I believe, could be a very effective major league reliever in his career. Again, devastating against left-handed bats. Yeah, I think the difference with with Schultz and Crochet, and even going back to Carson Fulmer, when Fulmer was considered to be, before his velocity kind of crapped out on him, was that they were considered to be like good relievers, really hard to make him a starter. With Schultz, we just don't know at all. You know, that's, so it's a case where it is just more open-ended. Um, you know, it's certainly the odds are against him becoming a starter or more favorable for relief work because you only have to be good at an inning at a time, but at least it's more of an open question. Yeah. I think there's a little bit more hope than what we are currently seeing with Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist, and Jared Kelly. And hopefully fingers crossed, Noah Schultz does not fall in those same pitfalls as those three prep pitchers have, but hopefully the White Sox have also learned their lessons for the development of these three that one, they could get those guys back on track because it'd be great if they got back on track, but it'll also help them get Noah Schultz ready to go in his professional career. So we'll see uh, how Noah Schultz does. Again, there's going to be a lot more coverage of the Major League Baseball draft over on the Future Sox podcast. That's going to be coming out on Tuesday with James Fox and Mike Rakin. There's going to be another episode later this week from those guys as well. Uh, covering the entire draft for the Chicago White Sox, all 20 rounds. It's going to be a fantastic listen, so highly recommend it. If you are not subscribed to the Future Sox podcast, you can subscribe to the Future Sox podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And, of course, you're listening to this, so I'm assuming you're also subscribed to the Sox Machine podcast, but if you're brand new to the show, you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Apple and Spotify. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast as we enter into the All-Star break. Rest we'll your an- voice. Yes. I'll rest my voice over the next couple of days. It's been quite the weekend in Minneapolis. I'm glad for those that went. You guys had so much fun. We had a blast. Cannot wait for San Diego to see everyone again out west. For that will be a very important series for the White Sox, the second to last series of the season. If you are interested in getting more information, I'll continue to post uh, the Google form that you could sign up and you could be receiving email communications of the latest updates on the travel to San Diego for that meetup that will be in early October. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have just discovered us or have been a longtime lurker of Sox Machine, you can help support us at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content, they get ad-free versions of the podcast and the website, and they also get the first opportunity to acquire our Sox Machine swag. Monthly plans start at $2, and you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your own for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.